Hello and welcome to Third Times a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third movie in a franchise. This is season one, episode three, Rocky Three from 1982, written and directed by Sylvester Stallone. I'm your host, Mike, and joining me today, they are the hosts of the P.S. I Love Hoffman podcast on this very network. Please welcome Kyle and Brian. Hello. He's the rapper, I'm the DJ. Ooh, wow. Thanks thanks so much for having us on. Yeah, I've been excited for this for a while. Good, I'm glad to have you on. I've been on your show a few times. More than a few. <laughs> numerous, numerous. <laughs> I am the unofficial co-host of that program, I suppose. The unofficial third host of that program, because you're a man of threes. The threes, yes, exactly. Thanks for being on my show. I'm running things here. It's just me. It's good to have you on, and we're going to talk some Rocky, specifically Rocky Three, but Rocky in general. We're going to get our rock on. <laughs> <laughs> To start my show, what I've been doing is asking my guests, I'll start with you, Kyle, and then we'll get to Brian, but I want to just ask you, in general, what are your thoughts about the Rocky franchise? Do you have a favorite Rocky? I mean, I know you've seen all the Rockies, but you know, you don't have to go ranking them, but tell me a little bit about your history with Rocky. Okay, well, first and foremost, I can specifically remember the last time I watched this movie, and that's when we went to the Rocky Marathon a little over a year ago. Yeah, so you, me, Brian, and Joey were all at the Alamo Draft House in Yonkers, and we watched all seven Rocky movies in a row. In a row. I have the ornament on my tree right now to commemorate it. <laughs> all we got was an ornament to show for it. <laughs> I don't recommend doing that. Ooh, it hurt. It hurt. Physically. I was just so, yeah, physically and mentally drained from it. Like, I would have loved to have done that Arnold one. And even though that was shorter, I was just like, no, 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 no. I just can't. I couldn't. Well, that, that marathon prepared me for anything to come after. We've discussed it a few times. It's come up on other shows on the network. We've referenced it and everything. But yeah, I had a, that was a rough night for me. And I have not seen, <laughs> I have not seen a Rocky movie since. But continue, please. Yeah, so uh, Rocky for me is like definitely one, I remember like one of the earliest, it's a special thing I think between my father and I, I'm like a music and film guy, he's a, uh, a car and music guy, so we always had music, but Rocky is one of these movies that like we always bonded over, I specifically remember him like coming home like with the VHS and being like, you're watching this with me, <laughs> I guess it was just, you know, I mean, it was Best Picture winner, and, and so it's just like, you know, it's the truest underdog movie of all time, and and then after that, it starts getting like a little wacky. I read something the other day, like the first two Rockies, even Sylvester Stallone felt like, I mean, they're fantastic movies and, th and there's so much more to them than boxing. But after the second one, it becomes pretty much just about boxing again. Up until I'd say Balboa and then Creed, obviously. The franchise definitely takes a shift with number three. That's sort of what we're here to talk about a little more. But when was the first time you saw this movie, Rocky Three? Do you have a clear memory of that? I honestly don't. I feel like it's a movie I probably saw for the first time, like, on a Saturday afternoon on the WB-11. It was just, like, one of those movies. But if I was just going to make, like, an educated 
guess I'd say probably junior, senior of high school that like I rented it. Like I was just like really into like renting and buying movies then from the blockbuster up the street from our high school. I think I rented like all the Rockies or whatever. So nice. And I love Rocky 3. It's not my favorite, but it's darn close. It's just one of, if not the most quotable ones, and has one of my favorite scenes of all time of the Rocky franchise, and just a great scene in general. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm psyched to talk about it. So, Brian, tell me about your history with Rocky. I mean, both of you were extremely excited to be on this particular episode, but, you know, you seem to really be pushing for this one. Tell me about Rocky and Brian. Well... Rocky 3, again, is just, this is my favorite Rocky. Is this the best Rocky? Hell no. But this is my favorite Rocky. Rocky 1 and Creed, to me, are the best films of the series. They're just best, well-made films. And I enjoy them, but I have the most fun watching Rocky 3. First time I saw Rocky, I'm honestly not sure. The first time I consciously remember seeing Rocky is middle school, 7th grade. We read this book, Robert Lipsight, I think the author is, called The Contender. And the teacher just decided to show Rocky. And this is the first time I watched it, like, (laughs) front to back, remembering everything in the film. And I was like shit, I need to watch every single one of this series. And it was hard to get. I remember not being able to do it until they did a big DVD release five-pack of like Rocky 1 through Rocky 5, along with a video game release. But I got the pack for Christmas, watched all of them, played the video game, and just... It was awesome. But I remember even just like talking about Rocky <laughs> in middle school with kids. They would all blur together. Would you say it's like your franchise? You know, some people are just like way into aliens, you know, other people love their Jurassic Park. Is it rocky for you first and foremost? I don't know. I don't want it to be, but it might be, if that makes sense. (laughs) I've said this, every woman I've ever dated seriously, I've said if you want to consider marriage, you have to watch every Rocky film. And none of them have done it. So maybe that's why I'm not married now. I don't know. (laughs) Well, they just have to watch them. They don't have to like them. So, I mean, there's a out there. No, and I don't expect them to like them. I actually don't know if I want to marry a woman who likes them all. Like, I don't know if that's really somebody who I would look forward to spending the rest of my life with. Regardless, though, I mean, this is this is a series that means a lot to me. And Rocky Three, like I said, I have more fun with Rocky Three. I can't. I just cannot wait to talk about it. I'll put it that way. Yeah, we're all in the same boat here. This is going to be a love fest tonight. This movie isn't perfect by any means, you know, but it's like incredibly entertaining and just hits all the marks it needs to for me. I actually have kind of a vivid memory of the first time I saw this movie. Like, this is the first Rocky movie I've seen. Wow. Wow. Yeah, like when I was a little kid, you know, like six or seven, I guess, uh, I saw it on VHS, but I have a vivid memory of walking in Christmas Eve at my aunt's house where my cousins got Rocky 1, 2, and 3 on VHS, and they were watching them, and I wasn't allowed to watch them because they were considered too violent, <laughs> but but they were laughing, and I was like, well, why, why are you laughing? And it was because of how unrealistic they considered the boxing to be with, like, the sound effects, and so that was sort of my first exposure to Rocky, and then... This is the first one I saw in its entirety because I was a huge Mr. T fan as a little kid. Wow. And (laughs) this was sort of like a, I don't want to say it's the children's version of Rocky, but it's definitely lighter than the previous stuff. You know, it's not as dramatically heavy, even though there is a death 
in the family in this movie and we do deal with a lot of that stuff but I just remember growing up as a kid like this was Rocky for me for a long time and then Rocky 4 came out and I saw that in theaters and then you know there's just once you see Rocky 4 it's hard to see anything else that for me <laughs> that for me is my favorite quintessential Rocky oh no we're gonna have some fights but this definitely has a very close place in my heart you must really like montages <laughs> Rocky Ford literally, literally has a montage of previous scenes in the film. This is, in a way, sort of a prototype to the tone of Rocky IV. Yes. Yeah, definitely. We're sort of moving away from that grit and grime of the first two movies. And Stallone directed Rocky II, so he knew how to emulate the look and feel of Rocky I pretty well, I feel, to the sense that those movies might blend together to a degree. Uh, And this is a completely different visual look to Rocky, I feel. There's a shift here. It's brighter. Well, I read that he he said that he genuinely, like, ran out of ideas so that's why it's much more just like about boxing and then like you said like yeah the fourth one it's almost like then even a simpler version of this one it's just like let's just have fun and and then it becomes much more about the opponent like Apollo's amazing but it's clearly like the first two Rockies are still Rockies stories but it's almost like then the third and fourth one become like much more about the bad guys in a way yeah well that's something that this movie does that a lot of part threes get to is the new character, right? The second one, it was Apollo again, and Apollo comes back and his character is sort of inverted in a way. He is a good guy now. And the new bad guy is a bigger, badder, scarier version of Apollo Creed. I read that this is his favorite in the franchise. This movie, to me, does a lot of things right for a third movie. I just think the issue for me is Stallone might have worn himself a little thin, starring, directing, writing, all of it. Well, I know we all like this movie a lot, but how do you think it plays? You keep saying it's about boxing, but I, I don't. like. I feel like with Rocky 3 and 4, they're way more symbolic. Like the Rocky franchise has sort of been like that too, like this whole underdog thing, like what Rocky represents, the working man, you know, the American dream, that whole thing. Like this gets into a lot of that as well, I feel, is like being complacent in his success and... Yes, yes becoming soft and losing his edge and selling out and branding himself and just all of that kind of stuff. 100%. See, this is the movie that, this is one of my biggest fears in life is like realizing this film. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is the only film that until the end, Rocky's not the underdog. This is Rocky dealing with success, which might be one of the scariest things of all. I mean, we all want to be successful, right? But it's like how you deal with success shows that your longevity. And you know what? Like he doesn't at the beginning deal with it very well and it's like believe it or not it humanizes him not that he's not a human in the other ones but it's easy to root for the underdog you know at certain points you're rooting for rocky but i don't know you know like the way he's training and stuff and i know we can get into that but this is to me i think why i connect to this film so much is the fact that it's rocky not being the underdog like not with nothing to lose he has the most to lose in this film 
Yeah, what I found interesting was I read that Sylvester Stallone, again, when like writing this and trying to come up with the story, trying to craft, besides like the boxing stuff, he looked like internally and wanted to show what he was facing at this point of his life. Like he's at a very high point in his career. This is the third of this franchise. First Blood comes out this same year, and he just wanted to almost show in a way the press being like on top of him all the time. And you get that a little bit. I mean, like I wouldn't have thought that without reading that but now seeing it i see what he was like trying just as far as the press junket that like he's doing that mickey's upset about and then just even the press like when he rushes back when mickey's sick or having having the heart attack i should say and so there's just some certain components and that's what i mean he, he wanted to try to mimic from his real life yeah you know it's not even so much rocky's success as it's his celebrity that is starting to get into the way you know like he's on he's the got Muppet a pinball show. machine. <laughs> yeah, he's got a pinball machine. He's on the Muppet Show. He's hawking American Express cards. He's sold out everywhere. Like, he's losing credibility. But I like this starting off because the character has changed. It's not the same Rocky from the last two movies. Like, this is someone who has fought and defended his title, who is, like, very secure, I feel, in the beginning of this movie with his success, not knowing that he sort of acquired it in a way that he wasn't privy to. You know, he finds out later that some of his fights may not have been the toughest contenders. And that really starts to mess with his head a lot, wondering, like, what is he worth as a fighter at that point? But I do like how success has changed him. And, like, it does people. Like, this feels real to me. Like, I'm glad that Rocky doesn't show up wearing the leather jacket and sort of still slumming it. But this this guy's in a business suit. He looks way leaner. He just altogether looks like a different person, even. Yeah, he's crazy in shape. He can read. In the previous yeah. two films, he couldn't read. Now yeah, that's a big part of the second one, yeah. He can read. And speaking of reading, we'll get to reading later in my segment, but in the novelization, there's a deleted scene where he's practicing his dictation and his, and his reading oh, and all that that's kind of good. stuff. But yeah, you know, like, I really like that about this movie is, like, not only is he different at the beginning from other Rocky movies, at the end of this, he's going to change even more and evolve again into, like, another version of himself. Yeah, this isn't the guy that is going, like, condominiums never used him. Like, he's much more, he's much more, like, put together, and, I mean, you said said it all with between the three-piece suits and all that stuff. He's become domestic, right? Like, Mickey even tells him, like, that's the worst thing that's ever happened. Like, you've become domesticated. You're not an animal anymore. Like, in Apollo, too, right? Like, you've lost the eye of the tiger. You don't have the fire anymore. And he doesn't really realize that until he gets his ass served to him by Clubber Lang, who is just incredible as a presence in this film. I feel like that is a great embodiment of all of Rocky's fear wrapped up into this one guy. 100%. And also just the best name of any character in the series, Clubber Lie. <laughs> Why don't we go through the movie a little bit here and touch upon some of the more memorable moments and scenes. I think starting with the opening, this is the first thing we've seen so far on this show on Third Time's a Charm. It begins with the end of Rocky II, with the final moments of the rematch with Apollo Creed. As Rocky II began with the final moments of the match with Rocky One. Well, Rocky II begins with the last ten minutes of the first Rocky movie. Yes, you're right. Ten minutes. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's a good point. It's literally that whole fight, right? I think when we were at the marathon, everyone started looking at each other like, "What? wait, what is happening here? Is this, we're watching the end of the whole movie again. And that was kind of the problem with the marathon. The first 10 minutes of every film we just saw and the entire Rocky Balboa was just a retrospective of all the films that had just happened. <laughs> Yeah, oh my god. Yeah, in 2006, they were like, oh, we need some Rocky nostalgia. Doesn't work when you've just watched the past five Rockies in a row. You're just like, I don't need, I don't need that. <laughs> but I tell you what, I like it here. The only two movies I've done so far for the show are Superman 3 and Jaws 3D. And neither of those movies have any sort of uh, previously on, or even in the movie themselves, there's very minimal reference to the previous movies in those series. And I like that Rocky 3 here is trying to actually maintain this universe, that it's saying this a continuity here. That's really nice. That's a first-timer here. Yeah, for you to appreciate the relationship between Apollo and Rocky, you clearly have to see the previous two films. Like, that's just necessary. You at least need a, a reminder for when he shows up later that they fought each other, that, you know, that they were rivals. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Honestly, the, the first couple minutes here are the only things that potentially make this a standalone film. Because if this was just this random guy, it would not mean anything. Like, especially, like, the ending. I agree, because the very next thing is we have the Rocky theme it opens with, and then the flashback, or the previously on, and then we go right into our new theme, which is Eye of the Tiger. You know, we're not even going to hear the classic Bill Conti Rocky music for like an hour, at least. Not until he gets back training in L.A. with Apollo. Well, you do hear it two times, and that is via the marching band. So it's actually, you're in the universe, and then this like the string ensemble when he's training. Right, but it's sort of like used as a parody in that way. Yeah. I know, it's like, yeah, even Mickey says, like, enough, find a new tune or something like that. <laughs> I wish I had a theme song, right? Like, it, it, it's it's amazing. But I like it because it's rebranding itself, you know? It's saying, like, this is, you know, the new Rocky theme, the new theme. that It's got a catchphrase and everything, Eye of the Tiger. Do you guys know what song was supposed to be used originally and they decided to go with Eye of the Tiger instead? No, tell us. No. I do minimal research for my own show, so please, I rely on guests as much as possible. <laughs> you're the best that's used in the karate. Oh. Game. You're the best around. Nothing's gonna ever keep you down. The Karate Kid, okay. Because I believe Survivor's gonna come back for a few tunes in the Rocky Four soundtrack. Hearts on Fire, but it's not the same singer. Yeah, Rocky Four might have the best soundtrack. Hearts on Fire. Rocky Four, I know we shouldn't be talking about that, has a double montage. He's training in the mountains, whatever, and it has that cool theme. And then Adrian shows up and he's like, oh, Adrian, you're here, cool. And then it's another training montage with Hearts on Fire. Oh, so good, so good. Absolutely. But this is a great montage here at the beginning of Rocky winning... Probably the best in the series. Over three years, Rocky defends the title ten times or something like that. Well, you see him traveling around the world defending the title, and then it's cut between that and Mickey watching Clubber Lang rising in the ranks, too, side by side. So immediately, they're setting up this rivalry, and they're not even on screen together. You know, you see Rocky bowing after he knocks someone out. He's, like, not even breaking a sweat. And they you see Clever Lang just utterly 
destroying his opponent in the ring. The the comparison is great. Oh yeah, again, like like this is the I think the best montage in the entire Rocky series. It just like pumps you up. It sets the tone so well. Yeah, it's one of those moments where like the audience is ahead of what Rocky knows. We're on the same page as Mickey, and we're just like, oh man. It seems like he has no idea, right? Like, he seems like he does not know. Like, he's too busy with his celebrity that he doesn't even realize who the number one contender is. It becomes a theme of the movie that he's too sheltered. Mickey is trying to shelter him from, you know, Clubber and all the tough fights. Like, he's up in his mansion, so he's sort of lost touch. Even Polly, <laughs> you know, he keeps at a distance. It's just like he's got, like, uh, a barrier around him now. Like, everyone's just trying to protect him from himself. Which, to me, didn't play well until he asks Mick why and he's talking about all the damage he took from Apollo and all of that kind of thing you know that's one of the few moments where we get mention of the previous fights and things like that that reminds you that Rocky's supposed to sort of have brain damage and if he fights again like he could possibly die like I remember that being a bigger theme in part two but it's interesting how they sneak it back into this movie yeah, and you definitely start thinking about it more and more when he faced, you know, I mean, this is a big movie because this is the introduction of Mr. T, but it's also the introduction of Hulk Hogan, a.k.a. Thunderlips in this movie. Oh, I got a lot to talk about that. Oh my god, there's just so many good things. So I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like the resident professional wrestling expert on the Cage Club Network. Okay, well, were you aware that Stallone had already wrote and directed a wrestling film? What film was that? So he wrote and directed a movie called Paradise alley after rocky and it's not like entirely a wrestling movie but it takes place in like 1946 and one of his brothers becomes a wrestler in it and there is lots of wrestling choreography and stuff i wasn't too surprised to find that out after watching rocky 3 oh yeah yeah no i've seen paradise alley actually that's an interesting film so little background quickly about hulk hogan hulk hogan the man what a lot of people don't realize is hulk hogan was not the hulk hogan we know when he filmed this scene he was not a household name he was not even famous he was famous in wrestling circles but not really he wasn't even a top draw we'll say he had done this nice run with andre the giant and he was in the ww WWF. I knew him because my older brother was a huge wrestling fan, was at WrestleMania 1 with Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. They were on the same ticket, fought together. Yeah. Yeah, they would later team up, which is amazing. So, But this is years before. And Hogan is like this mid-card wrestler. He's got the look. He's not the best technical wrestler, but he's got the look. And he's doing this program with Andre. And they're famously fighting in these arenas with like 3,000, 4,000 people. Not a lot of people. Bruno San Martino was the big name at the time. And they booked this huge show at Shea Stadium where like 40,000 people show up. And despite Bruno San Martino being the main event fight, Hogan and Andre fought this great match where Hogan actually beats Andre, which was later deleted in like wrestling lore because when they fight in WrestleMania 3 in front of 100,000 people at the Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit, that's like the big moment. It was supposed to be, oh, no one's ever defeated Andre. But it happened years before that with the same guy. Wow, you, you are the unofficial cage club wrestling expert indeed. So Stallone actually watched this match, and he was like, wow, this guy knows how to sell wrestling moves like nobody's business. So at the time, Vince McMahon Sr., not the Vince McMahon we all know now, his father, was running the WWE, and he did not believe in celebrity stuff. He wanted wrestling to be more like a sport. He famously told Andy Kaufman essentially to go F himself and not do the wrestling thing there. So Andy Kaufman had to go to Memphis and do it with Jerry Lawler. Basically, Hogan told him, hey, Stallone offered me this part in a Rocky movie, and McMahon 
wasn't happy, and they, he ended up actually like leaving his contract to kind of do this. Oh, nice. So he does it. Before the film was gone, he signed by this wrestling company, which was like number two and number three in the country at the time, AWA, based out of Minneapolis. He becomes like a star in the AWA, partially based on this Rocky fame, and partially based on the fact that, again, he has the look. When Vince McMahon Jr. takes over WWF, he's like, I need this guy back. He gets Hogan. He's a main eventer. Wrestling history. And honestly, American pop culture history is different. And a lot of people say it's all because Stallone picked this guy to star in this movie. Sorry, I just had to tell that story because it's, like, amazing. I'm glad you told that story. I mean, I remember knowing about Hulk Hogan and then seeing this movie and see, and knowing, oh, my God, it's Hulk Hogan. What's he doing? Like, this movie is infinitely better you know, now <laughs> as a kid because not only is it, like, Rocky, but Hulk Hogan, too, you know? I never. It's like these shared universes that we get now. Back then, it was terrific. That's a great moment, too, because it's like the charity fight. I really like that concept as sort of a set piece in this movie. You know, we're getting a fight, but it's not a boxing match. There isn't really a whole lot of boxing in this movie. There's more training, I feel. And I also feel like this wrestling match is longer than the two title fights combined. This is also the only Rocky movie where we see the full fight, because they're both short fights. Good call. Oh, that's interesting. Good call. Yeah, that's great. Something interesting about this, like, so the first couple times I saw this and just being like an on and off wrestling fan, I was like, in this universe, is wrestling real? Because they have a real fight. I think it's supposed to be played off like the general public isn't in on, not that wrestling's fake, but that it's choreographed and that it's pre-planned because those guys really are jumping and flipping and doing incredible like aerobic stuff in the ring there. Yeah, it's certainly very athletic. Right. Fake is a tough word, but yeah, it is scripted. I believe that the idea here isn't so much like, is it fake? But like it's wrestling versus boxing is the idea. So I don't think Thunderlips is going to hold back and maybe thinks Rocky knows the program. But definitely, as a kid, I thought wrestling was real, and this portrayed it as real, and kept up the illusion. So I, I just have a feeling it's it's not trying to break the illusion for people who aren't in on it. Well, I, I have a little background on this, and I promise this is the last wrestling tangent I'll go on. <laughs> so, at first, like I said, I thought this, and then I did a little bit of research, and it, and it reminded me of something, and it's true. So, one of the greatest Japanese wrestlers ever is Antonio Inoki. Antonio Inoki is like the Hulk Hogan of Japan, even better because he's like technical skill is amazing. At the time, in this movie, and especially like before then, it wasn't like now everyone knows wrestling is scripted. At the time, they were still trying to like hide the secret from a lot of people. And Antonio Inoki actually fought Muhammad Ali in a similar like charity fight. And he fought him for real. And they got into a real fight. And Muhammad Ali was a huge wrestling fan. That's where he got a lot of his antics from. I wonder if that was taken from real life because Mr. T was one of Ali's bodyguards or something so who knows if Stallone knew that story somehow and integrated it into the Rocky lore uh, honestly I would bet anything that he did I would bet anything and the house that Rocky lives in in this movie is Muhammad Ali's house in I want I know I know he's from Louisville but I want to say it's in Chicago hmm that's interesting yeah so like that made more sense to me like maybe Thunderlips here the ultimate male or whatever they say maybe Thunderlips here is actually like a scripted professional wrestler. But look, they're still big guys and he's still got to like protect the pride of his business. So maybe he just legitimately 
like he's bigger than Rocky, maybe just legitimately is like fighting here, you know? I'll give you a, just a little preview to the end segment. In the novelization, it is definitely played off like Thunderlips just resents Rocky for being a boxer. <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> it's like not a character. He, he's definitely got like an agenda in the ring. You're right. It doesn't play as well on screen in that direction. That's hilarious. I can't wait for this novelization part. Kyle, anything to add about Thunderlips? I mean, not really much to add about Thunderlips. I mean, he's just, like Brian said it, like he brought it from, back then it was the WWWE. What was the WWF? It was the WWWF, actually, back then. It was Worldwide Wrestling Federation. And then, obviously, that's too redundant, so they took a W away. Gotcha. Okay. But, yeah, just, I mean, as far as, like, yeah, Hulk Hogan or, you know, and them playing, like, Thunderlips, his whole pageantry of it all and he's just he's just a menacing guy I, lo- I love that like well I even so i think rocky's supposed to be like six six one or something in the movies so Stallone's five ten in real life so then i mean in wrestling in general they obviously say you know the wrong height and you know they always make him bigger than they actually are but i love it i mean what was he? he's supposed to be seven feet and 380 pounds i think or something like that <laughs> Yeah, like, the stats in this movie uh, for everyone are, like, way off, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, Hulk Hogan's, like, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, in real life. I think he's even just 6'4". No, 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 because he's taller than The Rock, and The Rock is, like, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, oh, okay. So, okay, we'll give him 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. We'll, we'll, we'll put it at 6'6". Six, six. We'll meet in the middle. And then one other thing, I love the Bob Hope line that's just like, you know, who would do charity like this? Bob Hope would. Oh, yeah. yeah, I like how Mick agrees with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that brings me to Mickey, who is great in this movie. Like, Burgess Meredith is just, like, on it with this character. Just, you know... He's like, great in all three, but this one is just fantastic. Like, yeah, maybe we'll join the circus. I don't know how intentional it was. I, I wonder if they were gearing more towards making this more of a comedy, you know, like make the lighter parts as light as possible because Rocky's going to lose the title, Mickey's going to die, like all these dark things are going to happen. The Dark Knight of the Soul is like a real earned moment in this movie, surprisingly, for something that feels more like a cartoon or a comic book at times, especially compared to Rocky 1, which is, you know, like a graphic novel or like a like a dime store novel or something. I'm surprised at how well the comedy is playing in this movie. I mean, I I think it's just more comical because they're also showing the show businessy aspect, as we were kind of discussing. Yes, it's inherent of Rocky's situation as well. You know, they're all looking around saying, like, look what we've gotten ourselves into. Mickey, you know, probably never would have imagined he'd ever find himself, you know, <laughs> staring down someone like Thunderlips. But everybody's playing it very genuine, too. Like, I'm getting the sense that everyone is very familiar with their character and where they are at this point in their journey. I mean, Paulie gets a major spotlight right at the top of this movie. Oh my god. What an asshole. We are really meant to focus on what this has all done to his character. Where do you fall upon the poly thread of this movie? I'll just start off by saying, like, Brian and I constantly talk of once Paulie's in L.A. and how much of a scumbag he is. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, definitely. Once he's in L.A., though, I mean, he's just a straight-up scumbag in general. Oh, look, he's a scumbag in general. Yeah, but he starts going freaking racial. Yeah, he gets racist there. <laughs> okay, you know what? I want to talk about this now since it's here. None of this stuff when they go to L.A. makes a lot of sense to me because if you look at where Rocky's from originally, his neighborhood, it looks exactly like the neighborhood they go to in L.A. to train at. The only difference is... 
that's where Apollo's from. Like, why couldn't Apollo, you know, train him where Rocky is for? Go back to his own streets. But why would he go there? Apollo knows the trainer there. He knows the methods. And he wants to train Rocky in the style that he fights, which is finesse. He wants to get him trained, yeah. I get that. I can understand why he wants to bring Rocky to where he trained. What I don't buy is that in order to get back the Eye of the Tiger, you have to get back to the streets. And those are the only streets he can get back to. It's like Rocky is from the streets. I just didn't feel like that is a main factor in sort of cracking his armor. Is like those streets are the ones he needs to get back to. It's not necessarily the streets. It's more just showing like the hunger that these young guys that haven't made it have yet. And again, like what, and I know you like agree with this and it's not like you don't understand it, but like what Brian was saying as far as like, so Apollo's training him. Yeah, he's taking him to like what he knows best and what he thinks is the best representation because he sees these young fighters there. Like that is just like, a low seal like that isn't like the gym in Philadelphia that place like almost looks like underground fight club in a way yeah yeah it does look more like fight club <laughs> and then I under I understand you're in Philadelphia you can go over to Jersey or Delaware and run on a beach but just like the beach aspect of it too is like a big thing for the LA sequence so and Rocky's too comfortable in Philly he can't go back to that gym yeah they treat him like a celebrity in that gym when he walks into that Los Angeles gym they look at him like like who who the F is this, you know? And that's probably how they came up with the Rocky Four plot, because they're like, he was out of his element in L.A. Where next? Russia! <laughs> Fair. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. You're absolutely right. It's like he needs to keep training in more and more uncomfortable environments in order to regain his edge or his tiger eye. But that's real to me. That, that believe it or not, and I can't believe I'm defending this movie like this, but that's real. Like, w- when you're successful, what's the pitfall of success, right? Comfort. you got to break your comfort zone to get to that next level. Sly Stallone is a smart man. He's a smart guy. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really tight script. I'm more or less trying to play devil's advocate on this point to a degree, but, you know, I like the concept of we're going to where Apollo is from because you're going to basically learn to fight like Apollo. I just kind of felt like they dwelled a little too hard on the fact that Rocky is out of his element here because it just feels like part of where he came from also. Uh, but I do like it. I mean, the whole reversal with Apollo is one of my favorite parts of this movie because it is like a true part three ism you go back and you find something from the first movie or the second movie that was just like a huge factor like Apollo was everything in Rocky 1 and 2 and what you do is like you flip it you invert it like now instead of the enemy it's his best friend you know it's going to be his new mentor I just think that is a great way to go with the franchise with their relationships and it feels honest too I love everything about Apollo's character. Like, he's, to me, one of the most interesting, if not the most interesting, Rocky character. I mean, obviously, Rocky is amazing, but Apollo, because he just takes, like, more and more turns. Like, unfortunately, I mean, spoiler alert, he passes away in the fourth one. And in this one, like you said, yeah, to go from the enemy or your opponent, and then just their little thing when he goes up to Clubber Lang, and Clubber Lang shows no respect, and he just goes up to Rocky and says, just take care of this. I don't think he, whatever he calls him, a punk of 
something like that. He's like, just do us all a favor and take care of this. And then just like him showing up in silhouette form in the gym. And then just the whole thing of like finding out that like even at the end, he's like, I lied. Like I still miss it all. Like I think about it all the time. It's just a deep character. It's a rich character. He's deep, but Kyle, you connect with him because let's be honest, you're a ham. He's a ham. Like even on the background, he can't be in the background. Hams love a good ham. Well, you're right, Brian. Like he is a color commentator. He needs to be involved in the sport still. Like even though he doesn't have any fight left in him per se, like maybe he's got one good fight left. He can't get away. Like he knows that he can sort of parlay his past fame and his legendary status into a new career here. And I also feel like he cares about the sport and the title to the degree and we're going to talk about Clubber, but to the degree that he doesn't want in quotes someone like Clubber Lang, who to me people just don't like because he comes across as a mean guy but like his whole thing is he wants someone to respect the title to hold the title so part of it is is to live vicariously through rocky and to be able to recapture some of that glory as well and be responsible for returning the title to the champ 100 percent, i agree with that before we leave la because i know you do want to talk about clubber lang and i do too kyle you and i always talk about this the continuity oh, between yeah. the series I... like the theme song here it's used twice in this movie actually it's used twice but the soulful version version was it called take it back yeah but this one it's like i don't have a reason you know like when it pulls in i love it it's no longer guys singing around a trash can it's a, like a much more like, soul oh, is that that's know. the same song from rocky one Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's an amazing detail. And they also, and then he, he's singing it with Adrian and Ben. I don't know if I'd call what Adrian does singing. Oh, God, Adrian. Yeah, they go they go from, like, obviously, like, yeah, like a doo-wop type to, like, a soulful type in L.A., so. Yeah, there's even a reworking of the Rocky theme when it kicks back in. There's sort of, like, a little more, I feel, funk to it this time. By the way, Take It Back, that song is... So that's Stallone's brother, Frank Stallone's song. Who's in this movie? He's there. And he's in almost every of the early Rocky movies. He's one of the people singing by the burning trash can in the original. His story is like kind of with Rocky's story because apparently he's like a famous singer now, you know? And he was a bum in Rocky 1. Oh, so his character, that's the same character you're saying? That he has risen (laughs) along the side? (laughs) I don't know, but it it could be. Along the side. In the margins of the Rocky franchise, Frank Stallone's doo-wop character now has like a (laughs) three-album deal with Atlantic. It's like the new Bobby Darin. But he's like Sylvester Stallone's stand-in a lot and like stunt double sometimes. And even Sylvester Stallone, he was supposed to be standing in for Rocky when Thunderlips throws him out of the ring. And Sly even says to him like, no, that's too dangerous. Don't you do that. (laughs) That's awesome. He's not even a professional stand-in. Gotta protect his brother. Italians. Nepotism, man. Like, you gotta try to get a role in your brother's huge movie. Okay, guys, so I gotta talk for a minute here about when I think of this movie, one of the things that pops in my head is very iconic the statue. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. yes. Well, that's the whole thing. Yeah. This is the one that unveils the classic bronze rocky statue at the museum this is just a movie in general of like so many first and just so many big moments like i mean we've said them just from eye of the tiger to clubber lang to Thunderlips, and those being introductions of real life people the statue the slow running on the beach obviously apollo shorts coming back and then obviously then the leroy neiman painting obviously it's just a movie that just has so many things that when you think of like the franchise it's a lot of it's in this movie and it's weird because this is the movie that kind of crosses rocky into pop culture 
culture it makes. For a while, people used to make fun of Philadelphia sports and say that their greatest sports hero was a fictional character. And of course, they were referring to Rocky. Did you say used to? <laughs> I know you're not a fan Stupid. of Philadelphia or Philadelphia <laughs> sports, Kyle. I don't know if Stallone was consciously making these types of comments or trying to while he was making this movie, but nowadays it plays like someone would write this as like a meta commentary on a franchise or something, you know, like looking back over like 10 films and sort of reflecting upon it and like this movie feels like there's so much history behind it already and we're only at number three just how well conceived the world is and that the callbacks feel earned and they don't feel intrusive or take you out of the film but rather sink you deeper into it you know like when you see Apollo Shores reappear you're like holy shit that's iconic you know it's like the passing of the torch from one to the other but just make sure you bring them back washed I know you want to talk a little bit about the statue I mean I don't know if you read the behind the scenes it's currently now and I'm sure plenty of your fans are from or have been to Philadelphia but it's currently now at the bottom of the steps of the Philadelphia Art Museum when they film the movies they do move it to the top but it's never actually been at the top because the museum objects to it because it's an art museum and that's not really art, let's be honest. They never considered it art, they considered it a movie prop. Yeah, so it's at the bottom, which is like public space. The art museum it has like a board and stuff. However, it, for years, it was at the Philadelphia Spectrum, which was where the Sixers and the Flyers played, which is far from there, but it's, you know, more sports oriented. But still, at least it's closer to the museum now. Would I want at the top of the steps? Yes. Have you guys ever seen it? I've never seen it or run the steps or anything but oh yeah yeah yeah. tons of times yeah one of the few reasons i go to philly (laughs) it is one of their biggest tourist attractions it is whenever you go there people are taking pictures with the rocky statue well it's just so great because like it becomes again it is a symbol but it becomes symbolic of rocky the character where it's this giant false idol like everything it represents is a lie according to him he didn't earn his place like yeah he beat apollo but from then on where all of this fame has been coming from and maintaining in his life and everything he feels like a fake it wasn't him he didn't deserve it so it's just really great how it can be one of these moments where it's just we want to award a citizen of the city with this statue and then later it becomes you know something deeper about the insight of a character himself the only other city I know that has a fictional film character statue is that of the city of Detroit and that's Robocop so something to visit someday RoboCop 3 coming way down the line to Third Time's a Charm. I've never seen it, and I won't see it until I do it for this show. Let's dive into Clubber for a while. I don't think we've really talked about him too much. We've not given him his justice, that's fair. Right. According to his wiki, he is James Clubber Lang. Makes sense. Did you read the entire novel for the novelization? Yeah, but what I'm about to read off of the character bio wiki is not in the novelization, but I'm going to read you Clubber's bio real quick here. James Lang was orphaned at an early age and spent most of his childhood on the streets of Chicago's South Side, as well as time in orphanages and juvenile facilities. Later as an adult, Clubber was sent to prison for five years for one possible count of a felony and or assault charge, but during his time being served, he discovered boxing as a way to let out his frustration and talent, which leads to the events of Rocky III. This is also evident in the game Rocky Legends, where if the player selects Clubber's path, he starts out fighting in the Chicago prison in a ring actually inside the prison itself. 
So there's some backstory to Clubber that isn't alluded to in the film. Ex-con. I don't know if that's necessary. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely would have expressed why they wouldn't want to keep him as champion, I suppose. I don't know. I'm reading the same article you are, and it's amazing to me. This is great. I'm, like, so excited. I don't know if you see at the bottom. It says, like, the lineage of the Rocky Championship, like the championship in Rocky. And it shows, like, the years or, or, like, months, really, that Clubber was champion from August 15th, 1981 to July 6th, 1982. So it's kind of like a year. Just about. Is that enough time for a rematch? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah so, all right. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a big sports fanatic or anything, so <laughs> I don't follow boxing. The biggest bone I have to pick when it relates to Clubber and the Rocky franchise is... I know exactly what you're going to say. How the hell did he not get a rematch? So so there are certain theories about this. One says that this leads credence to it, that Rocky uh, throws his title away right after this so he can fight Drago in an unsanctioned match. Well, he retired. Yeah, he is. Isn't he retired or semi-retired? Yes. It's a damn shame. Even if it didn't exist on film, that there was no like <laughs> Rocky club or third match because if a challenger beats the champion like that in the first match and then the challenger again wins which is rocky this time in the second match there has to be a third match there's too much money not to have a third match yeah i mean they just did not want to repeat themselves like they did with rocky 2 where he's gonna fight the same guy for a second movie fair but i wish it happened like off camera yeah clubber lang is an amazing character. You know, I hope he cameos in Creed, too. That's how much I love him. Like, he just needs to be there at Rocky's funeral. If he passes away, just show up and pay his respects and say, you know, well done, Creed. Whatever. <laughs> like, I agree with you there, but the business answer is they were done with the character and they wanted to explore other avenues. Another great thing about Clubber is just every time he's on screen, I lose it. Like, he just gets me so excited at what I'm watching. Mr. T is just so electric. Well, that's the whole thing, yeah. He he lives and breathes this character. Well, yeah, I I Pity the Fool comes from this movie. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Just so many moments in popular culture is insane. It's just awesome that Sylvester Stallone got this many, like, colorful people together. They're a cast of larger-than-life characters, and I don't know exactly when Mr. T made his, like, decision, like, I'm gonna have a mohawk and wear feathers, and my beard's gonna be trimmed a certain way, but I mean, it's just amazing. It it works. Like, we see him in the beginning montage, and, like, that Mickey's seeing that, then we see him training, we see him at that exhibition in the tux, but wearing, like, the feather earrings and stuff like that, and then when he's calling him out at the statue. Do you think that he's a little bit rude to Adrian there? Yeah, no, he's rude. Yeah, way rude to Adrian. (laughs) Yes, he is rude to Adrian, but that's to get to Rocky. He does it multiple times. Yeah, I love, I think it's at the exhibition match too. It's not the statue, but he's like, I live alone. I train alone. Actually, another thing I read, this is like the last little bit of trivia I know, is that Mr. T brought, according to him in some other article, he brought his mother to the premiere and she turned to him and said like, you know, I didn't raise you that way to treat and talk to women that way and stormed out of the premiere. Wow. Yeah, Mr. T, if you've ever seen him on, like, Conan or talk shows, like, is the sweetest guy in the world. He's just, like, an amazing individual. Nothing like his persona. It's crazy because if you you look at him and his look with the mohawk and the earrings and everything, like, it should be ridiculous. But he just owns it so hard, and he's so angry and scary that it just elevates his look. Like, the more ridiculous he looks, the better he looks. It's like, I think, you know, that's why with the age 
team and stuff. He added all the gold chains after this movie, right? Like he just, Mr. T as like a public image just kept going with his look and it, and it evolved even further after this movie. Obviously not at the time, but now I'm like so happy for him that he was able to get the A-Team after this. He got his own animated series, the Mr. T animated show. He had cereal? Cereal, yeah. Like, good for that guy, you know? Because like you said, he is a nice guy. There's just so much right about this movie. It's strange to me that it's sort of not as well-liked as we like it. The general consensus of this movie is it's kind of like a joke. It's not taken too seriously, but when you really look at it, it's saying something... It's got all these iconic moments and things about the franchise that are serviced here, and it doesn't feel like fan service. It feels like real service for the service of the story and for the growth of the character of Rocky. While it's not the most popular Rocky film in terms of like critical ratings, it definitely is not one that's like panned by critics. It's not Rocky Balboa. I mean, maybe it was because it was movie six in a seven movie marathon, but I was, I genuinely thought I was hallucinating during that movie. No, it's because of the marathon. It's not a, that one's not a terrible yeah. movie. It's just not great. And it had that really shitty song. Yeah. <laughs> but Rocky Five, which we haven't named here, thank God you're not doing five times a charm. Um, <laughs> Rocky Five is like definitely the worst one. That's not going to get the good reviews. But again, Rocky Three is this sweet spot between the quality Rocky films and the fun Rocky films. And I think it has a little bit of both. And that's kind of like something I've always liked about it. I think that's what also makes a good part three is that it's a transition film for the franchise. I'm not sure if they knew there was going to be a Rocky IV. Uh, it seems like they had a lot of fun making this movie because it's a lot of fun to watch. But if you look back upon all the movies, this is like a transitional film in terms of like tone and style. And it works really well overall in the course of the saga. Yeah, they weren't planning on making any other ones, but it did so well in the box office that Sylvester Stallone was like, all right, let's go again. Well, look, does it ever feel like this is the end of a trilogy? Does it feel like a trilogy? No. It just feels like a continuation of the story, and I think that's what's good. Yeah, I mean, it's a good continuation, but like, if it, if there never was another Rocky after this, I mean, it would be fulfilling enough that I feel like it was like a good, you know, the fact that it ends like with him and Apollo in this almost like, it's like this, it's what you want, and then we don't even get, we don't hear about this fight again until Creed, and we get a little answer, but it's like, just the step behind of like, what you, what, Brian, what you want as far as like, a third clubber Lang fight, like, this exists, but then we were just teased. I really like it as a sort of a punctuation mark to end this film, because you're right, Brian, like, it ends just like all the other ones. It ends with a fight, and he wins the fight, and then credits could roll right there. But there's this sort of extra coda. Oh my god, and I love it. It's beautiful. It's like the cherry on top of this wonderful Sunday. It just says to everything, like, if it needs to be over, this is just a great way to end it here. The idea that it's never going to end, really, you know? It's now the beginning of a beautiful friendship, basically. <laughs> it's just a way of saying we could continue if we want, but we really don't have to. It's a nice sense of closure for everything, which is remarkable that there's so much closure in this film. Yeah, no, and, and the beautiful ending. I mean, if you want to talk about the ending now, great, because I'll talk about this ending. The Leroy Neiman painting, and it's teased throughout, right? Because he's painting other paintings while he's there. You see the big Rocky painting. And just how it just ends with that, and that's the only, there's nothing else in the credits but that picture. 
that's my favorite thing about Rocky Balboa is that it's in the back of the restaurant. Oh yeah. Oh, oh that's such a beautiful callback. You know, like again, every everything about this is sort of treated with a level of similar respect. Like nothing is above anything in the lore. You know what I mean? Like that painting is just as important as the statue. You know, like they all become iconic elements that even the restaurants right like later on in the series i know that's way down the line but it's not like only in one movie you know that comes back and becomes like a plot point so yeah, and not and not to. I mean, we were talking about Rocky Three, but then that's why people love even Creed so much is because it takes the most ridiculous film in the franchise and makes that the core heart story of it is like Apollo not being around. Yeah, and and for me, Apollo is sort of the best character aside from Rocky. You know, his journey from one to four is again, it's just so complete and and it feels like right to the character you know it doesn't feel like we want to we're forcing him to die like it just feels like his personality would get him into that situation uh, because it's been listening through all the movies it's been written right yeah as a fellow ham i can confirm that's the way we go out so god willing god willing I feel like we should at least, you know, mention the two fights, the title fights. I don't feel like we even need to dwell on them because ultimately they're not that big a deal. All things considered. And they're shorter fights. Shorter fights, yeah. The first fight is two rounds and the second fight is three rounds. The first fight is more about, for me, it's more about Mickey dying in the locker room while Rocky's just trying to get through this hell moment that he needs to get through like his head's not even there he's not even in this fight yeah i mean that's just it's just such a tormenting moment and like rocky coming back in and lying to mickey just like his final moment of life of the little bit of peace like while lying there and dying is just like okay we did it he did he did win it's a nice little reference to how at the end Rocky is going to protect Mickey the way Mickey thought he was protecting Rocky, the lying and the, you know, it's a, it's one of the good, it's like a good lie, you know, because they care about each other and they just want to protect them and hear Mickey at the end. It's not like Rocky said, I won. He just didn't correct Mickey when he misunderstood Rocky and, you know, thought that Rocky was referring to himself when he said it was a knockout, which is some nice, that's some really nice writing. It's hard to pull off someone misunderstanding the other person and to do it here during the last moments of someone's life. Like, so such an iconic character like Mickey, too. I just feel like he goes out, like, really well in this movie. That's Albert's Meredith, too. I think, again, he's the most accomplished actor, maybe even in the franchise, but certainly in this film. There's a lot of weird elements to this whole scene. Some of it actually does feel forced to me. The fact that, okay, in a boxing match, it's not like a time limit, like, oh, you have to get out there, or then you lose the title, you know? They would delay the match if someone's seeking medical attention. The fact that he's just kind of left there alone with Adrian, of all people... (laughs) Yeah. There are medical doctors everywhere there. It's a boxing match. You know, it doesn't have to be their medical doctors. There are people for the undercard who should be there. And he's just like left alone there to die, essentially. Of course he doesn't fight well. You know, he probably would have gotten beaten anyway. Just like, that's just like, again, very forced to me. It's more symbolic than realistic, but fine, whatever. You know, the, the dying scene is like very emotional. Rocky does mumble a lot, but that's just something he does. But again, he's grieving. So, so I get it. Finally, like Rocky, he says a couple, 
couple times, you know. He's, he has a little bit of daddy issues. He alludes to it in kind of the first film. And certainly in later films when he's raising his own son. But Mickey becomes, like, finally, like, a father figure in his life that he's been able to win over and be worth it to. So, like, that is an emotional death scene. Yeah, the three things I take away from the death is, like, first of all, the doctor is just, like, waiting there. He's like, we gotta bring him to a hospital. Like, he's asking Rocky for his permission, which is kind of weird. Oh, yeah, and he says Mick refuses to go. I'm like, dude, it's not his choice at that point. Just put him on a stretcher, get him in the ambulance, and go. And then Clubber actually pushed Mickey, and one could now, knowing the the novelization of this, he could technically maybe go back to jail for a little bit of some form of assault. <laughs> And then the third thing being that Rocky has a horrifying, like, like, scream that they replay, like, in his awake nightmare sequences. Oh, when, when, uh, when Mickey finally passes away? Yeah, and, like, when they push the coffin in and stuff like that, he just, like, does this really weird Tarzan kind of yell. So, I definitely agree with you guys that it's too convenient, perhaps, but I also feel like the moment is earned because it was building. There are these little hints about Mickey earlier on clutching his chest and being out of breath and that altercation in the stairwell is so great and intense and I feel like Clever Lion can't be blamed because someone brought them both out to the ring at the same time, which I also feel like there should be some there's some kind of rule about you just don't bring both people out to the ring at the same time. They'll fight in the hallway like this. But I just feel like the confusion I feel like Rocky. I think that's the main point. Like I'm con- I'm a little confused. Everything's happening too fast. What you know, like I know Mickey's down there, but what's going on? I'm supposed to be concentrating on this fight, but Clubber Lang is just beating the shit out of Rocky and it's over before you know it. But it feels like it needed to happen here and now. Like his title loss and the loss of Mickey should be tied together closely. Maybe it's not the best way, but I accept it. I mean, Mickey still to me could have died. I don't know. Again, it just, I I think it's weird that he like died alone like that. I think it would have been just as symbolic if Rocky finishes the fight and he's fighting through medical personnel. And, you know, even just like, even to jump in an ambulance or as Mickey's being carted away. I think sometimes Stallone tries too hard with symbolism when he really doesn't have to. Yeah, well, I said earlier I think he stretched himself a little too thin. <laughs> this is his second Rocky movie that he's directed. Maybe if someone else had the reins, it would be different, but a moment like this might might have ended up playing a little better. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take away from the film to me or anything like that. It's just, it's just interesting. It's our job kind of to over-dissect this thing. I do like that it is the psychological barrier for the second half of the movie he can't get over. All the things that are left between him and Mick that are unresolved, that he can't deal with, that Adrian on the beach has to help <laughs> set him straight about. You know, all this stuff that's that's built up inside him. How it's like he can't understand how his world is falling apart so quickly. Everything got so bad, as he says. And I just love the moment when she yells what is really bothering you, basically, and gets him to say how he's afraid, and he's afraid of losing this and that. And she's like, none of that shit matters. You know, it's you and me basically you me and junior like that's all that matters and Polly. <laughs> this is the movie where she like starts kind of in my opinion having like a decline just as far as like an interesting character and kind of becomes like not a necessarily just like okay we're gonna leave the kid again like i mean in rocky 4 she doesn't go yeah first, right. she goes. but like it's just like she did not need to be in la there was zero reason for her to be in 
Oh my god, it's, it's for this moment here, though. She didn't need to be there the whole time. Which is what they do in Rocky Four, And they do in Rocky Six, and they do in Creed. Like, it becomes part of the rhythm. Yeah, you know, maybe Adrian didn't need to be in L.A. the whole time, but I also feel like it's better that she's there than not. Like, her character isn't really well-serviced throughout the whole film, necessarily, but at least she gets this great moment. I think it's a great moment for her, at least, where she's stronger than Rocky, and she has to sort of remind him, like I was saying earlier, like, they come from nothing, you know, and she can remember it, and now he can remember it, too. I agree. And now that we're on the beach, can we finally talk about the speech scene? I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, the homoeroticism. Oh, it's just two Greek gods. I could talk a whole podcast episode on Apollo's midriff alone. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, I feel like it's the victim of several circumstances, one of which is gym fashion, to begin with. 80s gym fashion. <laughs> That, in and of itself, we're not starting in a good place. Then you have, basically, these two guys who are Adonis. They're each an Adonis, so, like, you're going to show off as much of their body as possible, and it's the training sequence. I mean, it's just like, yeah. you know, one thing after another, suddenly you show up on set basically wearing underwear. And bras at some points. Well, it's like that, like, cut-off sport bra thing Rocky's wearing at one point. Yeah, it's to let the midriff breathe. It's an important process in that training for a boxing Yeah, I, and Kyle, you mentioned it. I know you love the little, like, hamburger meat on Apollo's uh, stomach, right? Like, he's just, <laughs> it's just so... Oh, yeah. I posted a picture of it earlier today on Instagram. It's fantastic. Oh, man. There are literal crotch shots in this montage. Yeah, they get up close and personal of those like whatever your thigh muscles are because I mean it's a big part you know like the Rocky running is a big part of like every movie and showing his speed like I remember watching that first Rocky and it's just like chubby nine year old being like that's never something I could do just like the speed that like the width that his legs are like sprinting apart I'm just like oh my god and this movie is just like yeah you remember that let's like show you what Apollo can do because it's like <laughs> you know you know, like I mean Apollo's like as far as that part like training side by side I, I don't recall like seeing much of Apollo's training because actually Apollo's kind of I think in the first one kind of like Rocky is in this one, right? Almost like not training that much and not expecting much from it. In the first one, yeah. In the second one, you see more of his training because he's more focused. And I also love that, so in the second one, what he learns to throw more right, not just be a southpaw. So it's like everyone, he has to like learn a little something. Even for four is just like getting back to the roots, just totally training in a barn and lifting logs and running up a snowy mountain. And, but this one, it's like footwork, bouncing the ball, swimming and running on the beach. Yeah, rhythm. He's got to get rhythm. Yeah, rhythm, which, which again, Paulie is pretty, you know... Racist Polly. Yeah. When he says he can't train to that jungle music, I'm just like, ugh. Or like you can't train him like a colored fighter. He has no rhythm. I mean, it is what they're trying to say, though, is that Rocky needs to be trained like Clubber, like, in a sense, like, he, it's, he's out of fashion, like, he doesn't know, you know, like, this. he's a brawler, he's a bruiser, not a boxer, and they need to turn him into a boxer in this movie, basically. He needs to unlearn what he's learned and do it all from the beginning again. Yeah, I mean, Apollo, even after all is said and done, which actually, in the fight, I feel like he doesn't use anything that he learns in this training, then he's just like, I'm gonna do this own thing. He's got a whole different tactic in the final fight, which we'll get to. 
but yeah, I mean, in the end, Apollo says it best at the end of the movie that he's just like, you fight great, but I'm a great fighter. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. that's just... It was true. I mean, there's a one-second difference between the win there, and Apollo did win first, so... Yeah, and again, like, because they keep it going in the saga that of Rocky, but I mean, Rocky says it, maybe he's trying to make Adonis feel good, but he says, like, Apollo was the better fighter, and he won that third secret, you know, fight and everything, so... I just love, I love, I mean, Brian knows it, Manzi, I'm sure you know it by now, but I just love a good bromance, and this movie has, like, a really solid <laughs> yeah. bromance. Bromance is a brewing, and I'm a fan. <laughs> it's a great element that they've brought into this, which is the buddy comedy, or the buddy cop thing, sort of, that you get in action movies like Lethal Weapon and stuff, where these guys bonding over training, sports, action, whatever, to the point of, like, their clothes and all of their training stuff, like, I wonder if what they're just trying to go for is being macho guys, you know, like we're macho, we're boxers, we're in the gym, we're working out, and then sort of not realizing it, that it wouldn't age quite as well and would sort of play a little more toward like the homoerotic nowadays. I feel like there was good intentions behind all of that, that they were just trying to show off their commodities, more or less. It was their vanity getting the better of them. One of the things I love about the running on the sand is, Kyle, you made me think of this, is like Rocky is very well known for running. (laughs) Like that first and second movie, he needs to run somewhere different. So he'll run on sand, and the next one he's going to run in the snow. Like It is just so funny how well calculated all of these beats are and how they're revived in different ways. And that, again, that's, I mean, that's my, like, least favorite part of Creed. Creed is an awesome movie, and that's just, like, I'm just like, eh, that doesn't compare to any of the Rocky runnings. What's he get? He needed to run on water, basically. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, why don't we get to this final fight, the rematch, Madison Square Garden. That might not matter to you guys, but in the novelization, I guess it, it sure makes a difference. But, yeah, this fight, I also don't feel like he's using what he learned. He's just got the eye of the tiger back so he's pissed off and angry and he's just determined to win now it's not like he you know maybe it was just a byproduct of apollo's training that he reacquired his tiger eye but he's only gonna use that factor in beating clubber this time he's just gonna taunt him and make him mad and get him winded and then explode and unload yeah the the rope-a-dope which is muhammad ali famously used on george foreman you ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. And you know, he just... <laughs> <laughs> He's really borrowing a lot from <laughs> from Cassius Clay. Yeah, well, that's what... I mean, when Sylvester Stallone wrote the first one, he like, Apollo Creed was totally a Muhammad Ali. Like, he said... He had met him and was just like, yeah, no, that's... You're, you're the champ. You're, that's, like, what you're based off of. That's the thing, is, like, everything was building to the final match, and I was actually, you know, for all intent and purpose, I feel like it's kind of like over too soon it's kind of a letdown like we don't get a ring card girl montage where we see like the fifth round the eighth round the twelfth round you know what i'm saying like it doesn't stretch it out in kind of true rocky fashion which is maybe which is one of the differences here in part three than one and two in the rest of the films is like this this match is just we're just going to get these three rounds and you know they do like kind of a back and forth and then the rope-a-dope and then it's just it's over yeah i mean they could have like literally 
in the same amount of time, like made it seem like there was more rounds. But um, I mean, Apollo makes it pretty clear that if he's going again, not that he follows a strategy anyway, but that if he's going to beat him, he's got to do it early because Clubber's younger, he's tougher. Side note, it really pisses me off when they're calling Rocky an old man all the time. He's supposed to be 34. That is not what a 34-year-old looks like, okay? He's supposed to be the older fighter. I get it that it's a short match. I know cinematically that might not work, but it, it makes sense, like, technical-wise. A guy like that, you want to, like, play with his mind and get him tired and knock him out early because he will outlast you endurance-wise. Which was part of Apollo's strategy because he's watching the footage of Clubber Lang. He's like, yeah, like, round seven, round eight. Like, the way we're training him, that's, like, the max amount of rounds that Rocky could last. And then Rocky's just like, yeah, but I got it. You ain't so bad. (laughs) Yeah. So good. Yeah, I guess you guys are right there. Cinematically, it doesn't quite play as climactic. This time, especially, as I wanted it to. I don't recall previous viewings having any issue with this ending or this final fight or anything like that. It's great character-wise as far as you can definitely tell Rocky has changed from the last fight, and I like that a lot. And you can also tell that Clubber hasn't really changed all that much from the last fight, so that, you know, he's probably gonna fight in very much uh, in sort of the same way, and Rocky will be able to, like, read him. That's what I'm thinking. I'm just thinking Rocky's different, Clubber isn't, and therefore Rocky is going to win. He, he has learned something. He's ascended during his training. Yeah, well, it's great. After the first fight, there's like that news interview with Clubber Lang after he now has the title. And I forget exactly what they say, but they ask if there's going to be a rematch. And he just says something along the lines of, you know, in his insulting ways of like, oh, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a fight. It would be, you know, like... A decimation, you know, like just something along the lines of, sure, like I'll, I'll go at it with him again in the ring, but at this point now he's like officially cocky. Isn't that when he says his, his official thing where he's like, do you have a prediction for the rematch? And he's like, no, that's like way at the end. Oh, I know what he says. It's, it's a great line. Wait, wait, we have to get this line because it's an amazing line. He goes, Clubber, do you accept the challenge for a rematch with Balboa? And he goes, I reject the challenge because he is no challenge, but I'll be happy to beat him anywhere, any place, any time. Great. <laughs> I always said he was nothing. <laughs> Our last fight showed you all that. <laughs> that's great. That's amazing. Perfect. Yeah, because that's the time then Paulie's like, don't pay attention to that. And Apollo's like, pay attention to that. Like, right? I think that's a long. There's so many little TV moments. And he's like, you know, all those people are going to be apologizing to Iraq. And I just, I love, I love so much again just with like a good bromance comes like a fantastic nickname which I know Apollo didn't give it to him but I love that he calls him Stallion and I love that later like Rocky calls him Champ and stuff like that oh man guys I think that might bring us to the end of Rocky 3 for tonight almost unless there's any particular moments that we didn't talk about that you absolutely want to talk about just the last thing I guess I'll say about the film is and I guess it's similar to what you're saying bromance Kyle but this is totally the peak of an era of male machismo, you know? Testosterone. Like, the ideal male looks like that. Top Gun, I thought of while watching this movie. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And it's something that's very much challenged today in our, like, you know, more of, like, kind of, like, an awareness, like, I'll say, like, feminist almost world, or at least we try to be, that, like, a man doesn't have to 
be like that. Like, Rocky's manhood is questioned here, you know? And I know, Kyle, you're, you're probably seething behind the microphone because you want to return to that. But it, it's interesting. No, there, I'm just saying there's like a best, of, there can be a best of both worlds. Like, I don't look like that, so it's not even like I'd be defending myself. No, no, no. I know, I know you are. I'm joking. You just look at that and you just go, wow, technically that's like the physical epitome. But it isn't, though. That's like the funny thing. Like, do you ever see boxers who are that cut? Even Rocky in the first two films is not this well defined yeah no because boxing you don't need to be cut tone it has nothing to do with your strength like this this is something based on the fact that it looks like old greek statues i mean you see plenty of athletes that are amazing at their positions and they don't look like that i'm just saying as far as like the average like that's an amazing that's an amazing feat to be in that kind of shape especially if you don't do it without any like enhancements or whatever but yeah it comes from that time that's the 80s and the, like this is an action film but again the same year it's first blood i mean sylvester stallone's body fat percent count was 2.8 percent yeah and that's not all natural obviously well he trained for 10 months to look like that 10 eggs a day five o'clock in the morning I mean, it's known fact that he did steroid throughout the Rockies. Yeah, but I mean, this is the time of Schwarzenegger and Commando. I hear you, Brian, just that it's not reality. This isn't what real boxing is at all. This is storytelling, and it's image, and it's all for the purpose of selling the total package, too, this time, you know? And that's also part of the theme of the movie. And, like, in order for Stallone to sell Rocky and sell himself now, he believes that this is the image, the uh, sign of the times, basically. And this is what the male image is, you know, the ideal male image. And Rocky needs to represent that. Yeah, I mean, the man definitely adapts with his times because even Rocky Balboa, like the character of Mason the Line Dixon, like, I don't know, Brian, do you know that? Because he's a real-life boxer. What was his name? What's his name? Antonio Tarver. Just even, like, the way he looks in that movie, you're like, oh, he's, like, not, you know, like, ripped. And so point being, like, even, that, you know, and that's obviously, that's a movie that, Sylvester directed, but then just being in Creed or whatever, like that, again, those were more like realistic boxers in that as well. By the way, I'm not complaining about any of this. Again, like this, just bring it back here, and I promise I wouldn't, but this movie almost reminds me of professional wrestling, where the people also are cut like that, because it's it's stylized on purpose, and that, again, I'm okay with that. I was just, again, commenting on how... To a lot of people, we laugh at this now, but at the time, I don't think it was such a... It feels like a relic now in terms of just how hyper-masculine this film can be. That leads us to the final segment of the show. Woo! For two episodes, I've called this segment Book Club, which totally defines what it is, but it's kind of boring. I'm trying out a new name for this segment, Third Time's a Book. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, in this segment... How'd you come up with that one? I was going to say, you should say, it's not a movie, it's not a script, it's a book. Well, I'm taking submissions for replacement catchphrases for the segment. Fair. But basically what I've done is read the novelization of Rocky Three. That's impressive. It's the third episode, it's the third novelization I've read. Jaws 3D did not have a novelization, so I read Jaws the Revenge, which is Jaws 4, and uh, talked about some of that. Superman 3 had a novelization, I read that. That was a fun episode, make sure you listen to episodes 1 and 2. Rocky 3 is the shortest of the books so far, 152 pages. It's a breeze. It feels like stuff is omitted, and yet there's, like, deleted scenes in here. There's a press conference that uh, Apollo holds with Rocky, calling out Clubber Lang at one point. 
basically, guys, what I'm going to do is I have marked some passages, which I'm going to read to you, and I just want to get your general response. And now why I'm doing this is because it gives us the opportunity to sort of get inside the heads a little more of some of these characters, maybe go a little deeper beyond the film. So what do you say, guys? Are you with me? I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. Oh, Captain, my Captain. This segment has been uh, met with mixed results so far. So I'm going to read a bunch of passages. This is from page four, and this is, in fact, the ending of Rocky Two, the opening of Rocky Three, the recap. Uh, here is a moment. Rocky went underneath with his right hand, pushed hook after hook into Creed's ribs. The champ stood there absorbing blows, a confused, dazed look on his face. Why are we here? Why are we doing this to each other? This is what little boys do. It's stupid. Rocky knew Creed was right, but his body was no longer controlled by his brain. It was too late for reason. He smashed out with a left hook that staggered Creed. Rocky's lungs felt ready to explode. He connected with another devastating left hook. So that was going through their mind during the rematch. Okay. Okay. Who writes these books, by the way? So this is written by Robert E. Hoban, based on an original screenplay by Sylvester Stallone. Interesting. Nothing wows me there. It's just, I, I laughed at, what is this, something about little boys? I thought that was interesting. Here's a little bit of Polly for you guys. And by the way, Polly is all over this book. It's like almost the Polly story. Really? Yeah, there's so much about Polly, it's unnecessary. I find him interesting. He just wants a job. So here's a little bit of Polly, page 11. So this is in the beginning of the movie. Polly was surprised at how unsteady his footing was. <laughs> Polly was surprised at how unsteady his footing was as he weaved his way to the door. He hadn't had that many beers, certainly not enough to cause a shifting floor. In the old days, he used to be able to drink a case without taking a leak. He was famous for it, like Rocky eating raw eggs. Mounted next to the door was a huge Easter Seals poster depicting a life-size Rocky in boxing regalia with his arm around a little boy. Emblazoned at the bottom was the motto of the poster, Give a kid a fighting chance. Paulie laughed bitterly. You have to be a cripple or a retard before anybody helped you in this world. That's Paulie for you guys. Was Paulie roofied? Is that what they're alluding to? He's drunk. He's drunk and he resents Rocky's success. I mean, not to not to go back to the movies that are on the book segment, but, like, the music that they play when he's drunk is just so... <laughs> it's just, like, weird strings, like... Oh. Yeah, the book paints a much darker picture of Pauly. You really get the sense of how disturbed he is. Yeah, I mean, the whole series has never been a peach. No, he's a dark guy. Here's a part of a deleted scene before Rocky has to go pick up Pauly at the police station in the beginning of the film. He's in his study, and he's sort of, like, studying, like, how to talk and stuff. <laughs> this, Yeah, this I'm very curious about. Hooked on phonics. Hooked on phonics. Page 17. He finished the drill, then rewound the tape and played it back. It didn't sound bad, he thought, smiling. Not real good, but not bad. The smile grew as he continued to listen. What would his fans think if they could see him now? they think he was crazy. Maybe they were right, but he didn't care. All he knew is that he wasn't the same man he had been three years ago when he'd won the championship. Nobody was. Everything changed. Or died. <laughs> he loved South Street, but there wasn't any reason to drag it with him for the rest of his life. He snapped off the recorder, removed his glasses, and massaged the bridge of his nose. Surprise registered on his face as he noticed how dark it was. He glanced at his watch. Enough of this. He was a married man with a family, not a bookworm. <laughs> 
it was time to go to bed. To be beside Adrian. He pushed his chair back from the desk and walked over to the bookshelves that lined an entire wall of the room. The shelves were crammed with works ranging from Shakespeare to Spallini. Most of the bindings were new and clean, untouched. The fact that Rocky hadn't read the books didn't detract from his appreciation of them. They looked great lined up, all neat and orderly on the shelves. Besides, he had read one of the Spallini books. It was a start. Oh! Oh wow! We got you guys. We need to collaborate on something and use the line. I'm a man with a family, not a bookworm. That is fantastic. It's one of the best lines I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, I like it. I'm gonna skip a few here. Move ahead a little bit. I didn't realize how many I had marked exactly here going through. Because <laughs> this is a good book. That's why. Here's some clever lying stuff. This is during the charity event, page thirty-seven. All of a sudden, there was a commotion outside the ring. Electric flashes popped away like mad as the photographers hurriedly snapped pictures. Rocky turned in time to see Clubber Lang push his way through and step up to ringside. Photographs of Clubber made him look mean, but in person he emitted a blunt, horrifying brutality. His eyes were dark and cruel. Sweat beaded on the broad plains of his face. The dark bristles of his mohawk hairstyle sprouted from his otherwise shaved head like an upturned scimitar. He scowled at the people surrounding him, and they involuntarily drew back. This author is just, I mean, fantastic with his detail. I didn't think that was terrible. It gets you a little bit into the mind of Clubber. Not that we didn't know it already, but so far, like, to me, the thing that's done the most justice to me is, like, the fact that Rocky was reading, because among, like, Rocky fans, that's, like, a big continuity error. He can't even finish a commercial on Rocky 2, and Rocky 3 is on The Muppet Show, so I'm glad to know he was practicing. Clubber, like, I don't think this adds much, because we knew this about him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But here's some Thunderlips. Page 41. At first, all that was visible was a mass of shimmering blonde hair towering above the surging crowd. As the entourage neared ringside, the security personnel held back the crowd and Thunderlips became fully visible. He was over seven feet tall. The shimmering blonde hair turned out to be a white, wide-brimmed hat partially covering a golden mane that flowed to his shoulders. Huge mirrored sunglasses hit his eyes, and a white satin cape billowed behind him. In his hand, he gripped a white whip. Behind him, Daphne and Dora held up the ends of his cape. Doreen followed, fanning him with ostrich plumes. The slave girls were smiling. Thunderlips scowled. The fans roared louder. Thunderlips scowled more. There was nothing that he liked better than a successful entrance. Daphne, Dora, and Doreen. I like it. Wonderful. I am sold. Hooked. We didn't get sunglasses in the movie, I don't think, though, right? No, no. Yeah, and you know what else? In the movie, Mickey is put into a mausoleum wall, if I'm not mistaken, and in the book, he's buried. So there's a difference there, too. So my guess is, and I'm sure this is something you've seen from novelizations, or you will see, is that the novelizations are done usually, a lot of them while they're filming, and like Stallone probably gave him the script, and there was probably a burial in the script, and these are like, the things we're not seeing are probably like last minute changes. Like, they probably decided to again put Mickey in, in the mausoleum. Yeah, in the making of on YouTube, from making of Rocky Three, you can see Stallone say the script is never done. It's constantly being worked on. Well, a big part, and a lot of people were surprised is that upon Mickey's death and funeral, we find out that he's Jewish. And because supposedly in like the first two films, it's a little alluded to that he is Irish-American. But the big reason that they made sure that he was Jewish was to supposedly pay homage to a lot of boxing trainers were Jewish. So that's why oh, okay. they decided to do that. Yeah. 
So I think that plays part into a lot of, I know a lot of Jewish people get buried in, I think they have a specific name more than even a mausoleum, I forget what that's called. But point being, that might have been like something that was decided later, so it could have said buried in the ground in the script or something. Yeah, that makes sense. This is like minutia we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm reading from the freaking novelization. So <laughs> I'm not hard. complaining. Here's uh, page 57, chapter 5. The kitchen occupies a place of prominence in an Italian household. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Done. I love it. Yeah, that's the end. Don't read anymore. I just wanted to read that because, you know, as an Italian-American, <laughs> I thought it was quite hilarious. And also given sort of the racism of Polly in the actual movie itself, that the book would just call out <laughs> that the kitchen is a place of prominence in an Italian household. It's like, okay. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. What do you think of the segment so far? I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I like, I like that this exists. I'm happy. So this is a little bit of Adrian here. We get a little insight into how Adrian's thinking. She can't sleep. It's the night before the first fight. Page 80. The luminous dial of the clock read three o'clock. She gently removed Rocky's arm and eased out of bed. He slept on, oblivious to her absence. She felt like a mother as she watched his sleeping form. His hands crept down between his knees and he curled into an embryotic position. My baby. <laughs> my lover. Oh my god. Oh my god. Until she had met Rocky, it had never occurred to her that she would have either. The walls of the apartment oh and the pet shop had been the perimeter of her tiny world. She remembered him coming into the shop and buying the turtles Cuff and Link. He had scared her. He had looked so big and powerful. But even then, she had sensed a lonely gentleness behind his strong facade. And when he'd kept coming back to amuse her with his clumsy jokes and sheepish grin, she'd felt an excitement she'd never known before. But she hadn't allowed herself to believe that he had actually cared for her. What could any man see in her? Oh, she was a dull and drab and black and white photo in a world of color television sets, as Polly had constantly reminded her. <laughs> so I don't need to keep going what on there. What a misogynistic but... passage. Oh my god. That's also like a writer that's trying to give like a little bit more understanding to a character that, again, like doesn't have much to do in this movie. Obviously, it's like completely, like Brian just said, misogynistic and that kind of stuff, but like it's just... Oh. That took a toll on me. <laughs> Has anyone ever preferred the novelization to the movie? Like, I know, obviously, there's people that love books. I don't know. I mean, the Godzilla 2014 movie novelization was on the New York Times bestseller list, and I think that sort of, like, rekindled a little interest in them. But I don't know. I mean, like, I started doing this as a joke, and then it became funnier and funnier when I realized how many books I was going to be reading for this show. <laughs> uh, and then I realized that there's going to be like a long segment at the end where I'm just reading to my guests, which is funny to me. I mean, I'm, again, I'm happy this exists. When you showed me the cover of this, I was like, this mm -hmm. is amazing. This is just amazing. It just reminds me of something I would have bought at book club in elementary school. Well, I know exactly why. It's for passages like this on page 101. Rocky sat in the darkened gym. He knew that his life had to change. This wasn't healthy for him, and it wasn't fair to Adrian. He could feel her wince whenever she looked at him now. It made him want to get out of the house, which only exasperated the problem. Things couldn't go on this way. He had too much to lose, and so many ways to lose it. But it was nice sitting at Goldman's gym, remembering. He'd been 15 years old the first time he'd entered the building. Mickey had taken the cigar out of his mouth and asked him his name. Robert Balboa, but my friends call me Rocky. Like a Marciano? Yeah. We'll see. Rocky snapped back to reality, disgusted by himself. 
That was a large part of the problem. He couldn't focus on reality. He was wasting too much time on memories. He stood up and walked over to the speed bag. He took a long, lazy swipe at it. That's not the way you do it, a voice called out. Startled, Rocky uh, yes. whipped around. A vague figure stood in the shadows. The figure stepped forward. Who's that? Rocky called. Apollo stepped out of the shadows into the murky gray surrounding Rocky. Hit it straight. Lean into it. Apollo? That's right. I've been waiting at your house for an hour, Apollo continued. Your wife said you might be here. Nice, nice. That actually played pretty well in book form, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, I, I like that one. It, it, it's it's good. It, it's, again, we had the introduction to Apollo. There's also, like, a veiled criticism of Sylvester Stallone here, I think. Just the fact that, like, leaning too much on the past in these films. But I like that passage. I think it played well because it was, like, closer to, like, reading a screenplay than it was a novel. <laughs> Which most of novelizations feel like you're reading a screenplay, for the most part. Yeah. And then they pepper in, like, the inner thoughts of some of the characters and just yeah. deeper descriptions and stuff. I love, but by the way, Manzi, kudos on your Burgess Meredith and your <laughs> Ro- Ro- Robert Rocky Bubble. I never knew his name was Robert. Yeah, it reveals it a couple times. I think that's something I've never caught before. Well, his son is Junior and his name is Robert. That's one. Uh, okay, that makes sense then. Never paid attention to that. But, Manzi, you, you do have to work harder on your Apollo. <laughs> what I took away yeah. from that. <laughs> Try better. Well, it's uh, it's actually I'm not used to reading out loud. Oh, that's my nightmare. You know, it's almost like reading it blind too, like for the first time. I mean, I've read it before, but I've not like read it more than once. But this was kind of interesting. This passage about Rocky had a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I would love to have seen like Rocky's nightmare sequence in this movie or something. But page 111. The shower water drummed on Rocky's head and shoulders, sending little pinpricks of pleasure through his body. He could barely remember the nightmare. It seemed more like someone else's dream that he'd been told about when he was only half listening. Clubber had been in a dream. That was one thing Rocky was positive about. Clubber's fierce face was very clear in his mind. He seemed to recall Apollo standing in his corner. He found that odd. Why Apollo instead of Mickey? It was his first dream in a while that didn't feature Mickey in one role or another. He laughed. Featured. Roll. He was going to Hollywood before he even got on the plane. He closed his eyes and let the water smother him. His mind went blank except for thoughts of swaying palm trees and long vistas of sandy beaches. Hmm. Is anyone else turned on by this passage? That's what Rocky is thinking about in the shower. I guess that's a deleted scene. We didn't see him in the shower in this movie. No, that would have like really hit on my point of like the homoerotice. Yeah, the closest we get is the jumping up and down the water and them splashing and hugging. This next passage blew my mind. When I read this, I literally threw the book across the room. <laughs> I just want to prepare you. <laughs> this takes place in L.A. Yes. This is Pauly. Yes. At night. Yes. Pauly nightlife. It's a short passage. He gets a hooker. He gets a hooker. Okay, but but you're you're gonna hear it, and here it goes. Page one eighteen. They really come out of the woodwork at night. Pauly thought as he left the bar after reaching up a dress, then encountering a mass of flesh quite similar to the one that he used to urinate with. What? Oh. Uh- what, wait, wait, wait. Should I read that again? Please read that again. What is this oh. implying? They really come out of the woodwork at night, Polly thought, as he left the bar after reaching up a dress and encountering a mass of flesh quite similar to the one he used to urinate with. 
So, 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 okay, am I just crazy? Like, he has a transgendered prostitute? He had an experience where he thought he was reaching up the dress of a lady, and it turned out to be a man. Or at least a trans person, let's be politically correct. Or a trans person, yes. Yeah, so he sexually assaulted a trans person. I mean, is that Im- implied? Just from the reaching up the dress, it just... Didn't say he didn't enjoy himself. Deleted scene, guys. This is why you read the novelization. <laughs> I'm telling you. Wow. That's like... So when you're reading this, I'm thinking like, oh, are these novelizations mostly for kids? Because I feel like they usually are. I mean, I don't know if this one is. I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. Again, like I tried to... You're never too young to learn. Okay, talk about this in the first episode with Joey a little bit. It's like, I don't know who these are for exactly. <laughs> like, people who can't afford to go to movies but can afford to buy books. This is like, you, know, you know what it's really for? It's for, like, the deep divers before the internet existed. Just like, oh, I really like this movie. Like, now when I really like a movie, I just, like, Google stuff and, like, really research it. Maybe back then I would have been one of these people who just buys the novelization and be like, oh, that makes sense why Rocky can be in a commercial now. He's been studying. All right, guys, so that is it. You are done being subjected to the novelization of Rocky 3. <laughs> thank you. I like it. Well, thank you. That's a fun segment. <laughs> I feel like we read the entire book with you. This was a gift, though. I'm so happy that this novelization exists, because I would have never have thought that they would novelize Rocky 3. Well, what blows my mind about this mostly is the year. You know, it's 1982 and 83, and there's novelizations of Superman and Rocky, and, you know, like, I can understand today, like, it being a part of marketing. It's like, you have the movie, you got the book. It's just part and parcel. But yeah, you two can own a copy of Rocky 3, the novelization, if you just go on eBay and pay, like, $2. <laughs> <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> they're super cheap, mostly. Wow. Who, 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 who needs a copy when you read the entire thing to us? Okay, guys, so speak now or forever hold your peace. Rocky Three, Kyle. Love it. Brian said it best, actually, in the beginning when you know I went first and he went and said that, like, yeah, Rocky, you know, the original Rocky and then Creed are, like, the best in the sense of, like, filmmaking and, like, story. Just all, te- all technical aspects. But Rocky Three is just so much fun. Just, like, so many firsts and, like, crazy memorable things from this whole franchise or from this movie. So, uh, yeah, I enjoy it every time I see it. Brian, Rocky Three, speak now or forever hold your peace. This is a fun film. This is, again, not a masterpiece by any means, but I enjoy it every time I see it. I love watching it with people who haven't watched it before, just for the absurdity. It's just, again, it's not, it's short, relatively short, you know? It's easy to follow, and it's just great larger-than-life characters. I'm just so thankful that you brought Kyle and I on for this one, because I don't think I've had this much fun doing a podcast ever. No offense. No offense, Kyle. Awesome. That's great to hear. When you guys run your own show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not even a fan of my own show. I love our show, and I'm appreciative of it. It's a great show. And that show is P.S. I Love Hoffman. Yes, I love Hoffman, and I love P.S. I Love Hoffman, too. The Hoff fans know I'm kidding. But thank you guys very much for being on. I had a lot of fun talking Rocky with you tonight. Thank you for having us. And we were the third guest, right? The third episode. Yep. Third guest, third episode. So Three people here. 
Yeah, the, th- the third film that Sylvester Stallone ever directed as well. So Yeah, so the numbers really played up tonight. I like that. Getting my money's worth out of it. Well, listen, everyone out there can hear Kyle and Brian on their very own show, P.S. I Love Hoffman, on the Cage Club Podcast Network at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And you can find all of the wonderful shows on our network over there, as well as all previous two episodes of this fine show, Third Time's a Charm. That would be Superman 3 and Jaws 3D. Also, be sure to check out the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash cageclub. And there is also facebook.com slash third times a charm page. Also, the Twitter at cageclubpod on Twitter. And then you could also email me at this show at T-H-R-E-E. That's three at cageclub.me. I'm Mike. That was Kyle and Brian. And I'll see you next time on Third Times a Charm. Three. That's a magic number. Three. It is. It's the magic number. Three may stub me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean? Coming up next on Third Times a Charm. In 1979, we discovered in space, no one can hear you scream. In 1992, we will discover on Earth, everyone can hear you scream.